0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the 25th Sunday after Pentecost. So we have spent five months now in this long green season since the beginning of June. We've been reading through Mark's gospel, considering it and contemplating it. And now we've come uh, to the end of that gospel, to the end that we read during this season. And we're in chapter 13. We'll be going into chapter 14. uh, And that is the uh, Lord's Supper and the crucifixion, which of course we hold off until Lent and Holy Week. So that means that next Sunday is Christ the King Sunday, uh, which is the ultimate Sunday of Pentecost, where we celebrate Christ as King, and we'll be reading from St. Matthew's Gospel. And then the week after that, and only two weeks, is Advent, the beginning of the Advent season. And I don't want you all to get to Advent and think, oh no, uh, I didn't uh, prepare. Advent is a kind of a house cleaning time. It's a spiritual time to clean uh, our houses. And we can't come to that house cleaning and think, gee, what am I going to do? Am I going to move the pots first? Or am I going to vacuum first? Or am I going to dust first? We have to have a plan if we're going to have a good house cleaning in Advent. If we don't have a good spiritual house cleaning, then we get to Christmas and we'll be with the world thinking that it's about snow and Bing Crosby songs and chestnuts, right? We won't be mindful that we are celebrating the living Christ and his birth in Bethlehem and we won't have uh, that spiritual joy and that real transformation of our hearts uh, that we all desire to have during that Christmas season. So for us to be prepared, we have to have a holy advent that we have considered and prepared for. As we think about the coming and another year of uh, Advent and another year of, of reading these lessons and of entering into these mysteries of Christ, we have to understand how time works in the Christian life. Time in the Christian life does not work the way it does in other places. In the pagan world, time is circular. Time is always repeating. There's nothing new. It's always the same thing. There's no progress. It's a simple repetition of the seasons. And uh, there's no movement. In a uh, contemporary or enlightenment kind of understanding, time is linear. Time is going in one direction. Progress is worshipped. And so we're always moving forward towards this uh, new wondrous uh, progress of the future. And if we have any kind of... uh, uh, contact with the past. It's very distant and it's hard to understand and it's better just to look forward. Christian time does both of these things. Christian time moves forward. We do indeed go uh, forward in time, but we also repeat. And so Christian time is a spiral. We're going through these seasons that we've seen before. We're repeating themes and seasons that we've seen before while we're moving forward. And this is very necessary for us to understand the prophets. This spiraling of time is very necessary for us to understand the prophet Daniel. The prophet Daniel, you'll remember, is writing in about 530 to 580 BC. He has been taken captive. He is indeed a captive in Babylon at the writing of his letter. He was taken as a small child or infant into captivity. And uh, while he is there, he has these luminous visions of the Lord, of of his past and of his present and of the future age to come. And uh, this is a kind of an apocalyptic vision that Daniel has. Apocalyptic themes we see over and over again in Scripture. We see a little bit in Genesis with Noah's flood. We see a little bit in Isaiah and in Daniel. We see it, of course, in the Great Apocalypse of Saint John and in some of the Gospels, uh, like in today's reading from Mark. We see these apocalyptic themes. Those themes are mountains being brought down, uh, valleys being raised up, of the poor being raised, of the rich being brought down. It's a kind of a leveling, and it's God's recreation of the world. And so God is bringing his justice. The themes that Daniel also has besides this kind of God's justice coming and remaking the world is uh, that free will has consequences. And of course, free will is central to our understanding of our relationship with God. We have to have an understanding of free will. And free will uh, turns on two sides of the coin. We can choose God in righteousness and we can receive our reward or we can choose sin and death and receive that reward. But the possibility of love, the possibility of love and righteousness is only possible in free will. There's no uh, ability, there's no way for us to love without there being a choice. And indeed, that choice opens for us the possibility of the consequence for sin. So all of that comes in when Daniel talks to us about a couple of important uh, uh, phrases and ideas here. The first is the abomination of desolation. What's he talking about there? He's talking about uh, the desolation of the worship of the nation of Israel. He's talking about an abomination that had happened at the beginning of his life when the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple and they went into the Holy of Holies. Right, The Babylonian uh, uh, guards go into the Holy of Holies expecting to see a great statue. They expect to see some kind of, a, of an icon there and they see just an empty room right? And they say, who is it that you're worshiping? We don't see an idol to your God. And they desecrate it. It's going to happen again. And Daniel is talking about the abomination that had happened in Jerusalem, The beginning of his life, he's also talking about an abomination that's going to happen in the second century when the Greeks come in. The Greeks do the same thing. After Alexander the Great, you'll remember that his empire is divided up. And you'll remember that that Antiochus uh, Epiphanes, uh, one of those Greek leaders of the region of Judea, uh, because of his fighting with the Jews, goes in around 170 AD. And he goes into Jerusalem and he goes into the temple. And he does the same thing. He looks around looking for this idol that they are worshiping. And he says, what is it that you're doing? And he sets up his own idol in the holy of holies of God's temple. This is the abomination of desolation. It's going to happen then now, uh, these couple hundred years before the time of Christ, or about 170 years. It's going to happen again about 40 years after Christ's death, uh, when the Romans come in in about 70 AD, and they too destroy Jerusalem, that time completely leveling the temple permanently until this day, and they too uh, desecrate the worship of the Lord. This is very important that we see this repeated over and over again, and we can't see this just as a history lesson of something that has happened in the past. We have to consider, where is the temple of God now? Where do we worship him? In our hearts. That's the first temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. And so... There is the possibility of us to set up an abomination in our hearts. What does that mean? That means that we're putting faith or hope or trust in anything other than God. Consider the options. People like politicians. They like militaries. They like technocrats and technology. uh, They like uh, uh, celebrity. There are all kinds of things that people choose from to put their trust in and hope in. We put our trust and hope in things. And so anytime we turn to things or to to these uh, other options, rather than turning to the Lord, we are setting up the abomination of desolation. If we're meeting here together and we're gathering as the church of Christ, so now we are living stones. When we come together, we are building the temple of God in worship. If we set up our hope and our faith in anything other than the Lord, which if you've ever been to a vestry meeting, it's so easy to do, right? We start looking to other things. Right? We've got to have our own ideas, and we've got to do our own work. Our faith is going to be in some plan, right? Rather than in the Lord, we've set up the abomination of desolation, and that now is what we worship. So we have to be careful that we keep our worship and our hope and our trust and faith in the Lord. Now, of course, we know that we are fallen creatures and that we sin, and there's consequences for that sin. The consequence of sin is death. This is not God's plan. God does not intend people to die. So when people say, oh, the Lord took them, it was their time, it was God's choice. No, he didn't. God doesn't choose death. That's not his plan. When we read about these horrible consequences of sin that happen to people, that's not God's plan either. He didn't choose that. He allows it to happen because he allows free will. So when he allows us to choose, he also allows us the consequence. But the consequences of those sins, He is going to bring short. And that's what Daniel is saying when he says that this time is being made short. He says it's a time, times, and a half time. And then he counts the days. Have you noticed these weird numbers that he uses? 1,200 and some days? Those aren't biblical numbers, right? Biblical numbers are the perfect number. Seven, right, is a perfect number. Twelve, right? So it's either three plus four or three times four right? Heaven times earth. So we either get completeness in seven, or we get the magnification of God's kingdom and the apostles or the tribes of Judah in 12. We get 40, right? We see that as a time over and over again, but this 1200 and something we don't see. What is that? That's three and a half years, three and a half years. In other words, it's not perfect. It's going to be short, The Lord's saying our punishment will not be a perfect, everlasting, complete punishment. It's a short consequence that we will endure with the hope that God brings it to a quick end. Why? Because of his love. Not because we say the right prayer, not because we belong to the right church, not because we're doing all the right things. It's because of God's love that he saves us from that consequence of sin. And so... uh, Jesus is completing this idea that Daniel starts. He's completing this spiraling idea when he again warns of the abomination of desolation. Again, one had happened about 170 years with the Greeks before he's born in Bethlehem, and it's going to happen again in 70 AD. And so he's warning the people of that time of an impending desolation, of an impending destruction of Jerusalem. But he's also warning us He's also warning us of what we're supposed to do. And he again says, he says that the Lord has chosen us and that because of his love, he's going to cut that time short. And then he tells us what we're supposed to do about it, what our response is supposed to be. He says we're supposed to be on guard. You know what it looks like to be on guard? It means being awake. Being awake when everybody else is asleep. You remember our theme of this ship out at sea, this uh, great seagoing vessel, and about how the people have to climb up into the mast and the rigging and they have to hold on tight during the storm. And there's some that in the middle of the night have to climb up into the crow's nest and they have to watch, right? They're watching and they're listening, right? Are there reef markers? Is there danger ahead? Is there an enemy ship? And if that person falls asleep, everybody's in danger. Are they up there because there's no problems? No, they're up there knowing that there's danger. So we have to be on guard knowing that there's danger. We have to know that there are things in the world that will entice us and try to lure us into a false sense of security or into another kind of worship. And so we have to be aware of that. We're not going to be surprised when there's other things that come, when there's other people that come and try to, to steal us away. And Jesus says we have to especially be Uh, on our guard against false prophets and about uh, what he calls false Christs now typically when we hear false Christ we think antichrist the antichrist we read about in the letters of St. John most people think that it's in the revelation of St. John that's because they haven't read it the antichrists are mentioned in the letters of St. John and it's plural antichrists that is anyone who says I've got the solution. Anybody who stands up and says, I've got the way, I can make you live forever, I can give you hope, I can give you knowledge, I can give you grace, I can give you all these things, and they're not pointing to Christ, they are a false Christ. So anytime anybody tries to offer us hope and faith in anything, confidence in anything other than our Lord, they are being a false Christ or a false messiah. And we know that we don't have to hear from anybody that he's come again. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will come again. And when he comes the second time, it won't be in obscurity the way he did the first time in Bethlehem. It will be with authority and everyone will know in an instant that he has come. You won't need anybody to tell you that he's here. Everyone will know. And we read that everyone who has ever lived will instantly be awake and will know that he is God. So that's the promise that we have. But we are being on guard against temptation, against falsehood. We're not naive. We're wise, we know that there's danger. We don't have confidence in our own ability to look (laughs) past it. We're knowing that we can be tempted. And so we're keeping awake. The writer to the Hebrews tells us more about what it takes to be on guard and to have faith and confidence in Christ. How is it that we get this confidence? The way that we get confidence in Christ is by developing competence. The world tells us, oh, be confident. You're so confident. You're so smart. You know, believe in yourself. Don't believe in yourself, right? You're going to fail just like I am. We all are. We're all going to fall down and skin our knees, right? We don't have confidence in ourselves, but we can have competence in our ability to listen to the Lord and to do what? Be obedient, that's where we get competence. Just like anything else that we do in life, right? It takes practice, and the more that we do it, the more competent we are in accomplishing that task. So the more we listen to the Lord, and we're faithful and obedient to Him, we do what He tells us to do, the more competent we become, and the more confident we are. And this is what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. He's saying, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Right? He says, so you've been through it. He says you had compassion on those in prison. You've done these things. So you now have competence, and you can have confidence in your faith. And then he brings up this really great one. I I don't think that you all heard this, uh, because I thought I would see some of you maybe get up and leave. When my mom read this passage from Hebrews, right? He says you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Did you know that's what we signed up for as Christians? You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. When I hear that read, I think some of us are going to say, well, that's about enough of that for me. How can we do that? How can we joyfully accept the plundering of our property unless we hold it lightly in our hands for the use of Christ and His kingdom? Unless all that we have is for Him. And so if somebody takes it, we say, that that belonged to the Lord anyways. And my hope wasn't in that stuff. No more that it's in the politicians or in the monetary system or in government or in technology. My hope is in the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, you knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one. We can say, my hope is in things that don't rust. My hope is in things that don't get rust and dust. My hope is in the Lord and in His promise which I have seen over and over again, because I have gained confidence and endurance. How do we get endurance? We get endurance by over and over again, listening to the Lord and being obedient. Right? That's endurance. We're doing it over and over again. So now we can say, I've seen the promises of God fulfilled. I've seen Him heal. I've seen Him restore me. So when bad things happen, we're not going to, oh my goodness, a bad thing happened. Be surprised. We're going to say, yes, bad things happened to me. Bad things are going to happen again. And the Lord has restored me and strengthened me every time. So our faith is in Him. And how do we get it? How do we get that faith? You notice that the writer to the letter of the Hebrews uses this very important theological term. This is a very technical term. Are you ready for it? When? When? Right? He says, when you have done the will of God, you will receive what's promised. When you've done His will, so that's faith, hearing God's will, and be obedient in doing it, then we will receive what's promised. See, we want it to be the other way around. Give me the good stuff, give me all the belief that I need, and then I'll do what you want me to do. It works the other way. When we've done His will, Then we will receive what's promised. Then we receive the hope. Then we receive the faith, the confidence, and all those things. See, the confidence comes from actually doing it. Competence and endurance come from actually doing it. We're not going to get endurance without ever starting. That's impossible. There's no way. That's like saying, give me some endurance, and then I'll go and run the mile. It's the other way around. So when we do His will... Then we will have faith which will preserve our souls. Because we will have practice in hearing the will of God and of doing it. Hearing it and doing it. So we have two weeks. We have two weeks to think about this spiritual house cleaning of Advent. Two weeks to think about how are we going to keep our prayers? What time of day? What kind of house cleaning needs to be done in our spiritual lives? What's been tempting us away from God? What are the temptations that the world is setting up? Where have we been putting our hope and our trust? How is it we're going to practice listening and being obedient to him every day? so that we build the competence and the confidence that we need to endure into everlasting life. We can't wander into that plane. We can only obediently and faithfully follow it day in and day out. May this be a blessed advent for us and for all of those that we love.